Yo, what's up? This is Jacoby from Papa Roach. This is Ryan Leaf. This is Rich Roll, and you're listening to Silver Guy Radio. Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. And thanks to you for supporting the show. Have you checked out the I Am Sober app? If not, go to thatsoberguy.com right now and download it there. It's free, son. Free is always good. I Am Sober is helping thousands of dudes and chicks and folks and people and homies and aliens and all kinds of weird people out there and normal people, I guess, to a point, because what is normal? But it's helping all kinds of people, just like you, get sober and stay sober. You can get an overview of your sobriety milestones. You can see how much money you've saved by not blowing it all on booze and drugs. Come on, nothing better than that. You can also get daily notifications to help keep your ass on track and headed in the right direction. Keeping you on a schedule. Keeping you focused keeping you maintained. I know for me, that's huge. I also want to mention a new feature. Nick just hit me up. Nick from I Am Sober, uh, my buddy over there, always keeping me informed and keeping me up to date on what's going on so I can relay the message to you guys. They just rolled out an update called Daily Pledges. And here's what it is. It's a way for you to take things one day at a time so you can wake up in the morning, you can make a daily pledge. And then after you take that pledge, you get your motivation, your daily motivation. And uh, you can track these on a calendar. You can see how many times you've done it, uh, how many times you're adhering to the uh, to the daily pledge, making sure you're staying on point. It's a great way to stay on track. So here's how you can get the I Am Sober app. You can go to IamSoberApp.com. You can go to ThatSoberGuy.com. We have links there to the iTunes app store, to the Google Play store. Um, check it out today. It's free. Love it. Go download it. Get the I Am Sober app today. All right. Let me scroll down a little bit here because I got a couple notes here. I want to make sure I stay on point. I've been waiting to bring you guys this next guest. um, And his name is Dave Buckner. And Dave is a friend of mine and also one of the original founding members of the band Papa Roach. I grew up listening to these guys, hanging out with these guys in my hometown of Vacaville, California. So uh, I was really pumped to uh, to uh, talk to Dave and, and to uh, get him on the show. Um, this is really the first time he shared his full story of his journey through the music industry, as well as his journey and battle with addiction. So it was really, really cool uh, to hear Dave break it down very open, very candid, very honest, and very real. Uh, so I'm really stoked to share that with you guys. Before we get going... I want to thank Andrew Spanswick, Thomas Barak, and the team over at Clean Treatment Centers and Clean Media for having us out in the studio to record uh, the conversation that Dave and I had. Uh, Much love to those guys and a big shout out to them for all the work they're doing in the recovery community. Uh, Andrew flew me down there actually a couple times where I got to check out Clean Studios in the 9000 building on Sunset Boulevard. Really cool building, pretty famous building from what I understand. Uh, I got to meet some of the good people that help operate clean treatment centers, and we got to talk some podcasting, 
uh, talk some recovery, and also have some fun. So big thanks to them once again. And if you want more information about clean treatment centers, you can call the awesome team behind their phones. They're going to help you out. They're going to be nice to you. They're going to love on you. They're going to get you some resources. You can do that at 855-774-7839, or you can go to www.cleantreatmentcenters.com. So this actually started a few months back where Dave and I had an opportunity to chat and, uh, and, and to talk a little bit about my recovery and for him to share a little bit about his recovery and uh, just kind of conversate a bit, see where we both were at. I invited him on the show to share and uh, he agreed. And so we had a couple of good conversations beforehand and uh, that led to an opportunity to fly down to Clean Studios in West Hollywood to actually record the session. Um, and we had a damn good time in doing so. Uh, we got to check out some of the hot spots in West Hollywood uh, where there was no shortage of all the rage stories we hear about in the media, in the news. Um, we got to go over to North Hollywood and visit NRG Studios and hang out with Jay Baumgartner and see where P. Roach recorded the first album, Infest. That was pretty cool. Um, Jay was cool as can be, too. Uh, got to wander around the studio a bit. It was really an awesome experience. And a big thanks to Jay for letting us hang out uh, for a bit over at NRG. We also headed over to Against the Stream Buddhist Meditation Society. If you don't know about Against the Stream, it was founded by Noah Levine, author of Dharma Punks, Against the Stream, The Heart of the Revolution, and Refuge Recovery. Uh, we hung out there for a little bit. Dave introduced me to a meditation session there, uh, which was really, really cool. I hadn't done anything in an actual um, Buddhist meditation setting, I guess, uh, ever where I kind of sat on a pillow. Well, I attempted to sat on a pillow. I have an issue with sitting my, I don't know. I'm weird like that. I, I can't sit on the floor for some reason. So I think I posted up in a chair, but Hey, whatever works, right? You got to do what works for you. We met Mary who operates the facility there. She was super cool. Gave us a little insight on, uh, on, on what they had going on over there. That was cool. And, and you'll hear Dave talk more about it in the interview. And he talks about his own relation uh, to that recovery program and how it's been working for him. So that's a, a cool part of it too. Uh, so last, I want to say thank you to Dave and to Stacy for their support of Sober Guy Radio. Dave, once again, thanks for coming on the show, man. Just a, a shout out to him before we get going. And uh, I also want to thank my lady, the Jess, for sticking by me and allowing me to do what I do. I love you, babe. And uh, I'm just super pumped to have such an awesome, supportive wife who, um, who has always been there for me, who has always stuck by my side and has always encouraged me and, uh, and, and stuck by me. So can't say enough about that. Um, and of course, to all of you out there listening, thank you. We wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for you. So I don't want to make you wait any longer. I know you're ready to hear one of the best open and honest and candid interviews that we've had on this show. Here's my good buddy, Dave Buckner. What's up? We're in clean studios today. Uh, welcome to Sober Guy Radio. I'm uh, sitting here with my homie Dave Buckner, uh, one of the original members of Papa Roach. Uh, Papa Roach is um, uh, a great band from Vacaville, California, Northern California area. One of the bands I grew up listening to when I was in my teens, I have some great experiences. So it's really cool to sit in with Dave today, uh, get to know him a bit and hear about uh, his story. He produced uh, the first four albums, right, Dave? It was uh, uh, Infest was, was the first album. Paramore Sessions, Love, Hate, Tragedy, and uh, Getting Away with Murder. Away with murder. Um, over, what, 10 million, 10 million records sold in the time that you were with the band. I think so, yeah, um, something some, around that. Yeah. Some crazy-ass <laughs> number. Um, got an interesting story, of course, and the whole 
rock and roll lifestyle and touring and drugs and all kinds of stuff that comes along with that lifestyle that can be just, it can be crazy sometimes. So um, we're going to chat with you a little bit today, get to know you, man. Uh, so what's up? Maybe we can start with how we kind of hooked this interview up, man. This is kind of kind of crazy. All right. Um, all right. Um, Sober Guy Radio, everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> since we're here, it's a podcast about recovery and um and that's, you know, that's what this is all about. That's why we're here. I've been in recovery for going on 11 years now. Yeah. I think I went to my first um, meeting uh, in 2006. I was actually um, tricked by a friend of mine. I was, I was out on the town with a girlfriend that I was dating at the time. And uh, fr- we linked up with a friend of ours. And she was like, you know, let's go out to this, you know, cool kick it spot. Like, we're going to go and like, and, you know, Mind you, like at that time in my life, I was uh, completely off the rails, yeah. so to speak, yeah, you know, yeah. and l- figuratively and literally, you yeah. know what I mean? So, so like, you know, I don't, she must've just saw something in me that she felt like she needed to. She wanted to, to save your ass. I guess so. <laughs> so she's like, let's go find this, you know, this is kick a spot. Like, you yeah. know, I got this spot and it's like around midnight and I'm like, yeah, all right, we'll go, we'll go out there. Yeah. So we head over to like this spot over here, um, right here in Hollywood, actually, it's off of Sunset and La Brea maybe or something like this. And it's like a little strip mall. Hmm. And uh, uh, we get there to the spot, and I thought it was some underground club. And we yeah. walk in there, and like literally, it was uh, it's the Midnight Madness AA meeting at the there's a uh, no an actor studio there. Yeah. Um, and so like I find myself in this meeting. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? But then as soon as they started doing the introductions, I found myself standing up and introducing myself. Which really? I found very powerful. Huh. So um, did you, anyway. Did you identify as like an addict or alcoholic at that time? Or did, would you just kind of say, I'm Dave and I'm here because... I knew, I would, you know, jokingly, you know, acknowledge that I had a problem. Yeah, and but I it was kind of like to problem, minimize it almost. But I would yourself, definitely yeah. minimize, you know, at yeah. that time. Um, so hmm. that's, that was my introduction to recovery. Fast forward 11 years. Uh, there's a lot in between there. We'll get to that. Yeah. But fast forward <laughs> 11 years, um, and I'm newly into the uh, world of sobriety podcasts in general, but yeah, sobriety yeah, podcasts yeah. in particular. Uh, my lady, uh, Stacy, hey, babe, I love you. You're out there. I know you're out there watching because <laughs> I'm probably watching with you right now. Um, so I introduced her to the, the world of recovery, and she introduced me to the world of podcasts. So together... Yeah. We so discovered sure. the World of Recovery podcast, and you are her favorite podcast. So you awesome. and I think it's After Midnight, and I think like Recovery Elevator are like her top oh, yeah. three. My homie Paul, what's up, Paul? And so she's <laughs> like, you have to listen to this guy, uh, Sober Guy Radio, yeah. and like list. So I least listened to a few shows, and and I and um, I think the first show that I had heard from you was um, that you had Jacoby on. Oh yeah. I'm like who's this dude with Jacoby? You know, like yeah. and I, so I listened to it and you started talking, you're like, Yeah, I know you from Vacaville. and I'm like, sorry, Shane Shane Raymer, Raymer, I know that dude. <laughs> I know Shane Raymer. I went to school with that dude. I know Shane. What That's the hell? Funny. So like totally just so crazy how shit like that happens. It though, just man. came back around yeah. like out of nowhere, yeah. like here I am introduced <clears throat> into this world, you know, your world of you know sobriety podcast and Kobe's on and I'm listening and like she brought it to me and it's just like these meeting yeah. of worlds like this the perfect you know um perfect storm of of uh, yeah. of events you know factors you know and I, I think it's a good together. example of like nothing happening by accident like there's yeah. you know I'm, I'm a firm believer that our our lives have a path and right. um you know they're they're supposed to go a certain way uh, it's up to us to kind of make those decisions I guess along the way um 
Dude, you've been through some shit, like straight up. Um, it's uh, it's been a journey for you, like you said, eleven years. I mean, it's that roller coaster ride. And, yeah. uh, and anyone out there who is in recovery knows uh, what I'm talking about. Um, let's dive back a little bit, man, yeah. and um, let's kind of jump into um, to the early days. Like, take yeah. us back, P. Roach, starting maybe even a little bit before that. Just uh, yeah, I'll take you back even before it. I'll start it. Um, you know, in my teens. You know, um, yeah, I. Well, I'll just preface it by saying that I've grown up um, in a family that's very spiritual, yeah. very open-minded, very culturally open-minded. Um, you know, we're all Hispanic, Native American uh, by you know our genealogy, and so we have uh, lots of varying different cultures and points of view, and religious and spiritual points yeah. of view, like because you know it pulls from like Native American traditions. Um, and then Catholic traditions from the Hispanic side, but then huh. being my family, we got into like new age and, you know, mindfulness yeah. and even like uh, Buddhist, you know, like, cause uh. my family's like, we're like seekers. We're like truth seekers. We go out and find yeah. out what's out there and take it, internalize it. And, yeah. and you that's said the kind your family had a lot of intuitive, um, um, intuitive thoughts and intuitive feelings, like your whole yeah, family and stuff, right? That spiritual background definitely have this knowing like we have a knowing or like a like a gift you know yeah. so to speak yeah. you know whether it might be psychic psychic ability or just like you know a gift it's somehow somehow um yeah we're all gifted in some spiritual way like metaphysical yeah. way and like we all like know it and accept it and and whatever and and just that's like if you pop over to like any like given night of you know family night at our house you know like if my mom's over my aunt like we're talking like anything from like conspiracy theories to spirituality to meditation to what's going on in india like you yeah. know to you know hindu mythology yeah um you know that so kind when of you thing. say you guys have a pretty tight-knit family like, yeah very tight knit. just the, being you know the only reason i asked that like i guess that. too is like because we hear a lot in, in um you know folks in recovery everyone has different experiences but a lot of people come from broken homes, yeah. you know what I mean? To end up yeah. on drugs or end up having be, uh, uh, mental health issues, all yeah. that kind of stuff. That, were, that doesn't sound like it was really the case for you. You have a pretty tight knit family. I mean, I'm sure it ain't fucking it's leave it to beaver and right. shit. But you know like, what I mean? Like we all have our things that we go yeah. through. We have, you know, we're, we play the card that we're dealt, you know, yeah. in, our, in, our, in our lot in life. And like in the family I have is the family I have. We're not perfect, but we all have a great love for each other. We stick yeah. together. We, we, we really, uh, support each other and stick by each other yeah. you know um yeah. we all happen to like our family is originally from la and like most of like our our you know circle has moved to northern california now like it started yeah. with my family my mom and dad moved up there when i was in high school that's how i ended up at vacaville high school with you i'm yeah. originally from los angeles yeah um and then shortly after a lot of the family moved up but the point i'm getting at is that spirituality has just been a part of my life like from the beginning even like more so than religion like um you know, I was brought up baptized Catholic, but when it came to my com confirmation, they call it in the religion, yeah. um, it's when you, you know, you confirm yourself as a Catholic yeah. or whatever. And my mom straight up gave me the choice was like, you know, you're old enough now to decide for yourself. Is this the religion you want to be? Is this what you want? And I was like, you know what, mom? No, I want to see what else is out there. And so mm. like that began my spiritual journey. Um, I was just going to say, uh, I, I would I think forced is the wrong word, but I was the same way. I catechism yeah. confirmed all yeah, that. All, but yeah, I did all that. I didn't have. I didn't have. Uh, I mean, 
I didn't really know, right. I guess. I just knew that grandma and grandpa were Catholic and our, we had roots in Catholic and I stand and sit a lot of times in church. Exactly, <laughs> right. But like, and there was no spiritual- And they're singing some crazy fucking, like they're singing some yeah. Latin shit I can't understand. It yeah. sounds creepy. Oh, yeah, they're, <laughs> oh, like what the fuck, dude? Like, yeah, some weird. fucking like, uh, 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 opera, I don't know. It was, just, yeah, it was a know. trip, man, but yeah. Um, yeah, and and then and then, there, but there's no spiritual. At that time, for me, there was no spiritual like right. um, connection there. You know what right. I'm saying? And like everything was just seemed fucking to me monotone. Like with the whole religion on on. I mean, not to. I mean, I don't. You know, disparage any religion, so to speak. Or I try no, to. No, but know, I think there's a difference between humble, religion for me, and spirituality. Yeah, there is definitely, yeah. and especially because like with Catholic religion, most of the spirituality is fo- is the focus is what's going to happen to you or spirit after you leave here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Instead of like, what are you doing for your spirit while you're here? Yeah. You know, what's going on here? How are you learning and growing as a as a sentient being? Yeah. Know, as a, as an yeah. awareness. So, so back to what? I, oh yeah. So you were saying up, about getting confirmed. You were about to get confirmed. Yeah. And, your mom and gave I decided you the choice that and, Catholic wasn't my path, and um, I'd set me on a journey to um, learning and studying and 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 you know becoming aware and and um, and seeking what was to become my spiritual point of view and my truth. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, part of that was at an early age, like around 16, I think it was, um, we had gone to, I had an opportunity to meet the Dalai Lama at a, at a, uh, Buddhist festival in Santa Cruz. And I'm not sure why my mom tells a story. She's like, yeah, like out of the whole crowd that was there, it was a huge crowd. They pulled like a few kids, like maybe 20 young kids, like my age and younger and whatever to like come sit by the Dalai Lama. Huh. for some weird reason and so like here that I'm getting pulled out of the crowd they're like yeah, yeah they request your presence to go sit by the dialogue and we got to walk up and meet him and like so I was able to meet him and then and now I've be, what I've come to know what I've come to realize is that he uh I was able to receive a blessing you know whatever it's nice. just, yeah yeah that's cool. huge it's a you know pretty rad like who gets yeah. to say they, they get to meet the Dalai Lama not a lot of people um <laughs> so that was like my my kind of introduction into like this whole Buddhist thing and meditation, yeah. Um, you know, and which, so I, which I, I'm sure we're gonna get there. But it's funny because, you know, if we were to skip ahead 20 years or 25 yeah. years, it came full circle back it around, did. right? It which did. is a trip. But I don't. I'm sorry. I, I just so had to mention that because it's, it's so yeah, fucking cool. Yeah, it's an cool. interesting kind of a thing to like. You know, here I am early on in life, and meditation and spirituality are like this huge component in my yeah. life. You know yeah. what I mean? And they were there, you know, it's been part of who I am since, you know, the, since a kid, since the inception of the band, I've lived, yeah. this, this has been my, you know, my way of life. When, when did the band start, 93? We started in 93. Um, I think I was like 16 years old, um, junior in high school. And like yeah. Jacoby and I, we both played football. And um, we were like on the field at practice one day, just, you know, talking, shooting the shit and whatever. And, uh, you know, yeah, I found out that he played bass. You yeah. know, he's like, and I'm like, dude, I play drums. Like, and he's like, dude, are you in a band? And at that time, I was in like a, this punk band called Chernobyl Kids. Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, I'm in this band. And he's like, oh, cool, I'll come check you guys out and whatever. And then, um, you know, as we, our friendship grew, like, we're like, dude, like, let's just start our own band. Like, you yeah, know, I think something him. I fell out with that other band and whatever. And so I'm like, he's like, let's start a band. So he was gonna play bass, and. Can't His picture bass him got stolen. Yeah, right. It doesn't seem. So it doesn't, just doesn't seem right. Yeah, you kind of look back. You're like, oh, no offense, Kobe. Right? Yeah, right, Kobe. Like, I think it all worked out for you. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah no worries sure. there. But his, yeah. you know, so here he was supposed to play bass, and his bass got stolen. And I was like, why don't you sing? Like, you know, like 
Yeah. If you don't have a bass, like, yeah, I'll just sing. Like, I don't, I don't need any, you know, I will need a mic eventually, but whatever. So <laughs> here we started this, you know, like this group of kids in a garage, and we started this band. And, um, you know, that started the journey, you know, this. Actually, as I told you earlier, I think we were conversing, I was like, when I started Papa Roach, I didn't have the vision for what Papa Roach, what I envisioned the band to become. At first. And at first. Yeah. I just was having fun yeah. in the garage and whatever. And it wasn't until I had left the band in senior year of high school to, um, to pursue an education at uh, Art Institute of Seattle. Got it. Um, because I was trying to do the right thing and, you know, be reasonable and, like, uh, you know, like my dad's like, what are you going to do with your life? And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. And he's like, well, you got to figure out something. I'm like, well, I like art, you know, I, the music didn't even occur to me as something to do with my life. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. I was just, it was just a, a means to make noise and have fun and yeah. just hang out with friends. So I go to art school and I'm there for about a semester. And then I was doing, I was faring okay. It was all, everything was fine, whatever. I was on my path, you know, like to becoming a computer animator or whatever. That was like my, I was like, yeah, I'll work, you know, I'll do you know, computer animations because that was all emerging at that time and I was like yeah, that's really it was very interesting yeah, to yeah, me yeah, you know like sure. Pixar was just emerging you yeah. know at that time it, all the timing was right so that's probably the world I would have went into had I not had this like epiphany like I was I remember sitting in my dorm room apartment and looking mm. out the window it was like a rainy day and um, this Pearl Jam song came on the radio uh, it was that song Yellow Leadbetter oh yeah and I don't know what it was about and it's weird. It couldn't have been the lyrics because there's no lyrics to that song. It's, it's probably all like Eddie mumbled. Vedder's hypnotizing voice. Whatever it was, man, that song got in my head yeah. and the rain and me singing in the apartment. And something, some moment happened and some, somewhere inside this you know, <clears throat> voice just said, you need to go back to Vacaville and play music with Papa Roach. That's what you need to do. Yeah. And it was it's like, and as soon as that happened, like everything just, like the vision was there. And I, like everything... Yeah like flooded in like it became like apparent like yeah i'm supposed to be in this band and i'm supposed to play drums and i'm supposed to all this and like all these like vision all, like the vision for what it was to become yeah like was given to me then you just so you just saw that this vision was something bigger than just playing drums in a band or just playing little like or was there it was some bigger specific... than being a garage band it yeah, was like what, it was like you're gonna that. it's like you're gonna be a band like you felt you're like it was be a real purpose, band i guess you know what i mean yeah, yeah that thing of yeah. you know like wow, wouldn't it be cool if one day I, I could be a rock star? Like, that thing. Yeah. And it didn't come to me like, you're going to be a rock star, but it was like, you're going to play music in this band. Yeah, this is what you're what supposed you to do. do. Yeah, yeah and you're supposed to do. You're going to, like, put out records and, like, you know, like, people like people are going to hear your music, you know, around the world. Like, it just kind of all yeah. came to me in this Do you remember the thing. first show back when you came back? <laughs> I remember coming back and getting on the phone with Kobe, and I'm like, he's like, oh, you're back from art school. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm actually, he's like, what are you on vacation? I'm like, no, I'm actually back for good. Like, I left art school. And uh, by the way, like, I need you to let me back in the band. Yeah. He's like, what? Like, and they had already replaced me with a different drummer, like yeah. uh, a friend of ours, Ryan Brown. Who, yeah, I, think I you know Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. So they had, they had replaced me, put out, rec put out a record. They got, in, uh, they got in contract with this local guy named Dean, and he put out, like, their first demo record. Hmm. Their first little indie record is a tape cassette called uh, Potatoes for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Um, I remember. So that was like the first recording that actually was like released, like their first record deal, so to speak, yeah. whatever. But I came back and I was like, so what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we put out this, you know, we have this tape. We got, you know, record deal or whatever. I'm like, well, where are you guys playing? They're like, well, we're playing, you know, a garage party here and a cafe there, here, and yeah. just locally in Vacaville. Yeah. And I was like, no, 
fuck that. Like, we got to, you know, we got to go play clubs. Like, we're yeah. going to, you know, we're going to, like, this is going to be, like, a real band. Like, we're going to make C- yeah. we're gonna make CDs. Yeah. And sell records. I like, had we're a vision, play. motherfucker. We're yeah, like, I shit. broke it down for him. And, like, so, <laughs> yeah. and, like, immediately, it was just, like, the connection was That's there cool. that he's, like, you know, it was, like, well, you know, I'm, you can't play drums because Ryan's the drummer. Yeah. And they weren't going to kick him out. So he allowed me, like, to play, like, I was playing, uh, I, uh, what was it like conga drums i was playing percussion yeah, I so i had like my own like a rig set up like with some conga drums yeah. and like uh, some cymbals and whatever and at that point it was still kind of just like free for all i was still just kind of making noise it wasn't anything yeah whatever but just being able to get my foot back in the door i was like look man first thing we need to do we need to make like i'm all whatever this tape is nah that needs to go like chuck that like we need to go like write some new music and we got in with this uh this this guy um andre who owned a studio in, in Fairfield, the next town over, uh-huh. and he was a friend of Tobin's dad. Oh, okay. And he let us go I know, in there. Uh, Andre, uh, Andre, Andre Shampoo. Shampoo. Yeah. <laughs> I know that dude from He Fairfield. let us go in there on the That's cheap funny. and record a two-song demo that was Caca Bonita, and that like, yeah. like began to like identify. That was like the start of like the new, the new form of the band. Huh. Like you know what I mean? That was like yeah. the new because at that point they were more of like a Mr. Bungle type. Um, like kind of more out there experimental, you know, ber- yeah. you know, music kind of thing, you know, like yeah. I would make describe it akin to like Mr. Bungle type yeah. of music. Um, and would, would, you, I, would you guys like drink and like shit like when you guys practice? Is was there that little going on? Bit. when you're younger like that? I guess what I'm getting. You know, a little bit, man. But you know, I was I you know out of everyone in the band. Well, Jerry never never touched anything. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, wasn't a drinker, wasn't a smoker, didn't party, whatever. I we all kind of drank. I was like the least out of any of the guys like a drinker and i think uh our original bass player will i don't think he drank either so yeah so it's pretty mellow then. it was kind of just like kobe just, and i at first where it's yeah. just really mellow just kids yeah. like you drink you know you have drink a 40 whatever and it's yeah. all it's all good times at that point yeah it's actually fun uh, to a point at that time you know it what is, I mean? it's good you're times young, you're not, it's yeah. good t- it's like yeah. it's like it's when they describe it you know it's like at first you know it's like it's you know it's all good times and there's no yeah. problems. And then there's good times. Then there's good times with some problems. And then later on becomes all problems. <laughs> yeah, right? we, all we know how it plays out. <laughs> but at that time, drinking wasn't a fact. I mean, like smoking weed, whatever. It was just, you know, it was just part of yeah. being young and being yeah, yeah. wild and crazy. But it wasn't anything serious, and it wasn't affecting our lives at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it was just a welcome addition to, to loosen up and have a good time. Yeah. Let the energies flow. Like you know what I mean? Like not that I would get wasted ever while we were writing, but. It was definitely like I saw. Well, if I look, if I really broke it down to like all my, all my heroes and idols in rock and roll growing up were all yeah. huge junkies. Yeah, right? isn't that like, crazy, bro? Jimi Hendrix, yeah. like you know, Jim Morrison, John Bonham, like was a raging alcoholic. You know, yeah. died of alcoholism. All of my heroes died of this disease. Jim Morrison was a fucking maniac. Dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> Right, like crazy. Yeah, I saw that Doors movie as a kid. That, that blew my yeah, mind. That's, that's what, what I'm saying. Yeah, you know. I saw it like I was like, wow. I mean, if he, if that was anything, how they portrayed him in that movie, if that is how he was, which I've heard, that's pretty close. Yeah, dude, in, incredible, man. Like, right. but, um, so when, like, when do you get to a point where you guys kind of are like, man, like, this shit's real. Like, we're really gonna do something with this. Yeah. Like, so point being, shortly after I get back and back in the band, we record this thing and we start playing like real venues. We started playing our yeah. first club gig. I got us the gig. I was like, um, 
you know, there was like two fronts to like our hustle, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like Jacoby slinging like the tapes and, or whatever yeah. we have for sale, yeah. t-shirts, whatever, after the show, like directly to the fans. And then it was me on the phone with club promoter, you know, club agents and promoters and just trying to get our foot in the door. And like, I think our first night at Berkeley, you know, I got us there on a Monday night and that's where yeah. we started. At and Gilman? eventually we started at Berkeley Square, oh, which Berkeley is, Square, okay. it's another punk rock club yeah. in Berkeley. Like yeah. Gilman's right down the street. Yeah. Uh, Primus recorded a, a famous live album there. Uh, hmm. They recorded a, what's their album? Primus, help me out. Anyone out there in the world? No. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know either. Um, it was cool. They though. recorded an album there. That was one. So that's how yeah. I knew about the club. I'm like, well, we need to play there because Primus played there. Yeah. You know what I mean, and then it I just see. started like that. And then I'm like, well, where else can we play? Well, there's a club in San Jose called the Cactus Club. Let's go play. You know, let's. I was started getting on the phone and like booking us these different shows. Yeah. Um, so you guys at, were getting at the hustle legit on, club, man. just getting yeah, the hustle. On. That's it was it so small then. Yeah. And we could barely get anyone to like a show. You know, we can like maybe draw for, like 40 people. People maybe yeah. if we were lucky and like most of them drove from Backerville to yeah. see us yeah that kind of thing but it grew from that into like a legit thing like so after we started playing real shows and putting out our own uh, music we you know started uh, manufacturing our own merch like I had a job at a, a t-shirt printing company so I printed all the first oh, runs nice. of our our merch you know yeah. what I mean so yeah, um, that you know it's just purely organic street hustle like that's how we got it started and yeah. kobe's work ethic and how hard he put like he'd be yeah. there after every show going up to every fan like yo papa roach five yeah. you know you know slinging tapes or yeah. whatever when we had our little five song ep be like papa roach what the fuck five bucks you yeah. know like you know we were talking about that on the plane worked. i remember at three oaks just seeing him out front just just straight hustling just getting that like no uh i don't know if like shames i mean just don't who gives a fuck i'm just out here because I, yeah. I want this shit and i'm gonna get it and we love what we do yeah it was man. cool to see and man, at the end of straight. the day it's like look i mean look, we could see you see the you see how it paid off i oh, mean you yeah. know what i mean we'd literally when we'd be at um you know if corn came to town and played you yeah. know in sacramento we'd be at the show in the parking lot selling our cds <laughs> to their fans that's yeah. how hard we hustled you yeah. know if deftones played we'd be in you know we go to their shows yeah. and sell our cds so like you're networking that. and that's the, like we talked on the plane a little bit like that's that's old school kind of style right there because this is before everybody remember this is kind of before digital really hits big at the mm -hmm. time or you know right around mm -hmm. actually yeah it's quite quite a bit before um you're really out there just getting after it so all that hard work oh, yeah. like um, this is still a good like five years before digital. This is like 1995, yeah, 96, yeah. right? So, so you're out there hitting the hitting the pavement just heavy, just because you have this this vision, this dream that you already see. Yeah. Um, if you kind of if you kind of fast forward a little bit through that grind, mm -hmm. um, when does it come up when it's just like, damn, we're about to get a record deal? Okay. <laughs> Pretty. I mean, it happened. You know. People always say overnight success. Like we like to say, it was like a seven-year overnight success. Because yeah. from '93 to like when we got a record deal in '99, you know, right? It's you know that's like six years. Yeah. Um, but and then for our, and then to get the record deal and then for it to for what happened afterwards was just you know. But we'll yeah. get to that. Um, mind blowing for me and oh, surreal. Sure. I mean, it's still to this day when I think about it, I'm like, I can't yeah. even believe that. Truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> so as we're you know building our fan base, building our hustle, and we start. I was telling you earlier about how we got to know bands in SoCal, um, like yeah. Alien Ant Farm, Head PE, yeah. um, and we would trade shows back and forth. They would bring us down to um, 
you know, Riverside or Anaheim to play, or even down here in Hollywood, you know, like I think we played, it was called the Crocodile Club or something like that with Alien Afro, and they brought us down here. And then we would trade shows because at that time we were selling out the Vacaville Teen Center, right? Yeah. 350 kids. Yeah. Right? So, like, what, like any, what band wouldn't want to, like, you have a guarantee, like, sold out 350 kid crowd. Yeah. Like, so we were able to pull, like, tr- you know, national acts coming through, like, Incubus came through and opened yeah. for us at the community center. Snot came up and opened for us at the community center. Like Human Waste Project came up and opened for us at the community center. Like, you know, and then there was the bands that were also coming up uh, around that time, like Alien Ave Farm, Head PE, like, yeah. you know. Um, so it was like this whole scene that was happening. You yeah. know what I mean? That That's, it was like this organic thing kind of on our side. And then we were able to kind of welcome in like these national, and that's how I think we started getting the, the not the attention necessarily, but at least the major labels were like got aware of us. I think at that yeah. point, they're like, well, who are these kids? Who are these guys out there running their own shit? And like at that point, we we're, you know, we were making enough money that the 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 overhead of the band was paying for itself. Like we'd make yeah. enough money off our stuff to put back into the band yeah. and keep it going. We weren't spending our own money on it. it yeah. was, uh, uh, naturally self-generating mechanism at that yeah. point, right? So yeah. um, we had a manager named Brett who um, helped us a great deal um, after the, the early stages. He helped us in that middle stage of like getting the record deal, playing, like trading those shows, like networking with like major label acts and all yeah. that. He played a huge role in that, like awesome dude, awesome manager. Um, uh, he got he was able to secure us a, a demo deal with uh, Warner Brothers Records. And uh, we recorded a demo for them, submitted it, they turned it down. And then shortly after that, like uh, DreamWorks had heard the demo. And so this guy from DreamWorks came down to, this, to where we were, I think came down to one of our shows, this guy Ron Handler, yeah. who was our A&R yeah, at DreamWorks. Uh, what up, G? All right. <laughs> I know, yeah, Ron, if you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> the handler um he came out to one of our shows or whatever heard the demo and he's like um yeah man like you know i'd like to i'd like to take you to my label you know to see it. and so like we that's how we ended up getting our our yeah. dream work that's probably huge too like after kind of like you you record it um and then all of a sudden they go uh i don't know you're kind of like let the air we were out a little of the balloon, deflated. I, I would imagine. We were a little so, deflated, yeah. but then... And then you get someone come in like Ron and just say like, no, fuck, like, let's, let's yeah, do no, this. Yeah, no, let's do You're this. Like, oh, yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because as deflated as I was, like through all the ups and downs in the early days that we went through, yeah, this vision is what carried me through. This thing of like, I know it's going to be yeah. this thing. Yeah. I know it. Like, I know it. it's going to be this thing. And like at that point, my vision for the band was like, if, like at that point, like 311 around that time was like the for our awareness like they like we considered them like if we could make it as big as like 311 which at that time like they were touring around they like they had like the an rv and they were touring all the like the coolest clubs that we knew yeah. of like yeah. great american music hall i saw them at berkeley square with corn yeah. you know what i mean so like if we could tour those clubs like these clubs all around the country in an rv and make a living Being we made kid. it and yeah. that was like yeah. That was my vision. I'm like, if we could do that, yeah. Like vision like done. Vision done is complete. Vision huh? is complete. Yeah. Yeah. So we get, you know, so I'm carrying that with me through this whole thing. And um, you know, the deal the demo gets turned down by Warner Brothers, picked up by DreamWorks, and then we put out our first record and my perception of how 
things were going to play out with that would be that like this you know idealistic like we're going to put out one record it'll probably you know maybe some people will buy it maybe they won't we'll go out on tour build a fan base we'll yeah. put out another record it'll build it'll grow yeah it'll grow right yeah well i'm not sure what happened i think it had a lot to do with I mean, we were doing that when we put out the record, April 2000. Like, we were out in a van, yeah. slugging it out in the trenches, right? And one way or another, like, MTV got a hold of our video. Mm. And Carson at TRL, who Carson Daly, who was the host of TRL then, I think, like, he, he's, a low, he's a NorCal <clears throat> guy. He came from um, uh, out here. I think he was at Live 105. I think. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Was it from Northern California? He, he's from out here, though. He's a DJ from out here, right? That's okay. how, That was his, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, And um, so he got a hold of it, and he's like, yeah, man. So he, he was backing it. He yeah. backing it. So we played it like on TRL. They played it out, you know, in the regular yeah, I rotation. I think I remember that. They played it on TRL. And then, and then they played it on exploded. TRL, dude, and game over, dude. Yeah. It was done. Like, yeah. everything that happened after that, to me, for me, was like. It's funny how, like, even um, it, it doesn't matter what <laughs> part in life. Yeah. Um, timing is everything. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. And the timing of um, of that style of music, the energy it was putting off, like the whole the vibe of just everything around, it just hit right at the right time. And it was fucking phenomenal at the same time. It yeah, just fucking man. blew up, dude. It was. I so mean, you went from a van to like a like an RV, like or, or, or I mean a, a tour bus, like overnight. From a van pretty to much, a right? tour bus to like a private jet, like within overnight. like within I mean, like not a few months. Yeah, that's crazy. literally. And it was. And how old were you guys just, like at this time? Twenty. I was like 23, 20, 24 years 23, old. 24. Yeah, and yeah. You know, at that time, here's this thing. Like, I, here's this way I imagined it would play out, and then how it actually played out was so far beyond anything that I yeah, could ever imagine. Yeah. That it was very surreal for me. Yeah. And, um, and you know, as we were going through all that, you know, like we were drinking a little bit more. It's like, you know, as you, it's like almost like kid in a candy store syndrome. Like yeah. you're all of a sudden yeah. handed to the keys of the kingdom. Yeah. Like it's like do whatever you want now. You know yeah. what I mean? Like cool. I mean, not that we well, weren't doing that anyway. Nobody kind of gives a shit what you're doing anyways because you're just like you do whatever the yeah, fuck you like want. Yeah. Like we're already <laughs> like you know punk rocker kids from yeah. like you know small town. Like we didn't give it. Like we we're just stoked to be there and we didn't give a fuck and we yeah. just wanted to do our shit and like so we weren't really. You know, we were already doing what we wanted, but then yeah. when when we when the blow up happened when we blew up or whatever it just got fucking crazy yeah like it was nuts dude it was and that's when every like for me like drinking just really took off like i drank we would go through like you know like there would be three like three handles of like vodka like on you know on our in our backstage dressing room when yeah. like i would kill half of one <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So like that's how I roll. Like every night, like every, just, yeah, just, every night, we would just, just kill the same it. thing. We well, go did hard. you did you feel too like um, like okay? But so even you then, go, it was still it was still good times. It was still There's fun no, and shit, no right? Problems. Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah, it's crazy except for like happens. you know like the pressure of being this like now successful well, band. That, that, that's what I was just about to ask <laughs> you was like, like yeah because yeah. you go from like. All, all the homies, it's kind of local thing. The scene's growing, and then boom! Now all of a sudden, you're on this national, well, fucking world, I guess, scale at this point. Yeah, man. Um, and not only that, but now you take art, you take music, you take the the shit that you enjoy to do, and now it's a business. Right. You know what I'm saying? And now you got to transition into all the business side of it stuff too. Like you, you felt a lot of pressure in that. You think, or like, what do you? <clears throat> well, I mean, you know, I was I mentioned it to you earlier, and and my take on that is that. You know, the biz, I mean, it's, you know, they don't call it the music business 
yeah. for nothing. And, you know, in many ways, it's almost like they should call it the business music because that's almost really what it is nowadays. Mm. It's, yeah. it's corporate first, and then the art is like, is just a product yeah. to be sold. But, you know, that's, uh, Dave Chappelle had a great quote about it. He talked about, you know, like, you're, you're young and idealistic, but then when you finally get into your career and you realize where artistic vision and corporate interests intersect, yeah. it's not always pretty. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it could be very stressful on someone who's, who is just new to the whole thing and like trying oh, to yeah, take it all in. Sure. Like for me, I was like, what is all this? So it forced me, not forced me, but like it really, um, I had to put on a business hat. I had to get a business hat really yeah. quick and yeah. started to make, you know, make, you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, we're not just guys in a band, like we're small business owners. Yeah. We're responsible for like this, you know, for the livelihood of like our staff and people yeah. with putting food in families mouths and stuff like that yeah and so you know it gets a little stressful but you know good old alcohol is there after every show and you know no yeah. stress dude it's all good yeah. the money's coming in everything's yeah. great you know what i mean how does um, it what does it kind of get real fast though um for me um like just speaking for me when it started manifesting as a problem yeah was when uh like right around 2003 i think i was 20 about 26 years old something like that like i had tried my first bump of coke and like up to that and it's funny because Does i don't always know why they call it a bump of coke i, I always wondered no, that is it because it looks like a speed bump or like i, don't I always know. call it like let me get a bump and i'm like bump. why the yeah. fuck do i Key call bump it a bump is, yeah maybe know. that's what it's from but that's another discussion <laughs> that is we'll save that <laughs> And for me, like, I remember, like, after I'd done my first rail ever, like, I had talked one of our crew guys into, like, like I knew they had done it. I knew, like, the, yeah. some of the guys on our crew were partying. and But they would always, like, keep it away from me, you know what I mean? For for, I for whatever reason, like, like huh, I, knew my, I knew friends of mine did it, but it was never in my face for some reason. Yeah. People always kept it away from me. Huh. And I remember the first time I finally got someone to give me some, I did it, you know, and I was like, that's what the whole drug war is about. Yeah. Like that's nothing. What is that? That's that's yeah. nothing. Nothing. Big deal. Give yeah. me some more of that. Sweet. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And give me some more. And some you know what I mean? Water and some gum. And um, pretty much right after that, both became a problem for yeah. me because, like, at you know, at that point, maybe I'd already had a problem with alcohol, and maybe addiction was already in the picture, as we yeah. all know, because that's that's you know it creeps yeah. in very slowly, but. Um, I wasn't physically addicted to alcohol. I knew I drank a lot, but it's not like at that point I yeah. hadn't even put, I hadn't even crossed my mind to like, what would happen if I tried to stop drinking for a week? But so, you so, know, but, it but wasn't that, like that. That was a good starting off point though for that. But yeah, and it was right after I, I started partying with the, with the yeah, powders is when and then getting kinda, into the pills that like, it just, yeah. it, it, it was good times for a short while, but it got bad really fast. And what really pushed it over the edge for me was going through the breakup with my ex-wife. Let's uh, let, let's let's stop right there and take yeah. a quick break, and then um, we'll we'll kind of uh, jump back and we'll get into the breakup and and really what pushed over the edge, and then just fucking pedal to the metal after that. For sure. <laughs> All right. All right. Yo, what's up? Welcome back. Uh, we're sitting in with Dave Buckner today, original member and co-founder of the band Papa Roach, um, talking a little bit today about recovery, uh, about what life is like in recovery, and we're going to get into a little bit what life can be like living a crazy ass lifestyle that uh, you don't you don't really know what to expect the next day. So, uh, Dave, thanks for being here on Sober Guy Radio, yeah, man, on sure, Clean man. Studios, having a good old time, that's for sure. Um, we kind of left off 
Uh, you would you you had mentioned um, um, you know the the first breakup with your with your wife the first time and mm-hmm. that had um, you know you had just got you had just newly been signed to this record deal you guys are touring and it really happens very fast for you right um, and at that point um, you know drugs alcohol those types of things this kind of fast rock star lifestyle is is picking up pace yeah and. Um, but then it goes to a whole new level after the breakup and after that part, right? Well, yeah, you know what? Let me just back up real yeah. quick and just fill in a little bit of the story of when I realized that maybe not that I had a problem yet, but that yeah. I was relying on the substances for a crutch. Yeah. And that came around the when we recorded, when we released our second record, Love, Hate, Tragedy. While we were recording, like, um, you know, we were partying, you know, like we'd go out while, you know, we're in the studio, like drink, whatever, go out. And it, it was yeah. all still pretty much good times. There was hangovers and whatever, maybe some, you know, unexpected, you know, like, uh, in, like encounters or whatever that you scrapes that you get out of or whatever, like, yeah. Oh, Whoa, can't believe that happened. Or we got yeah. pulled over and you know, that kind of shit. But it's all like, it's not problems yet. It's just yeah. becoming aware that alcohol may be interfering a little bit in your life. Right. Um, Did you start to feel though that you had to like portray like a certain like it, like image almost though of that rock style like image or w- you know at any for me point? at that point no at that point I really hadn't I was still just like you know still pretty naive or just still pretty subscribed to the idea that like okay this is my life this is my career yeah. but I'm gonna do it my way I'm not gonna follow like what everyone else is doing. Yeah, that's cool. Although I'm drinking and, and you know, doing blow and whatever. Yeah. Doing the I'm same like shit. That. I'm not like, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna wear different clothes so it's different. I'm not following the trend. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's comedy. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so when we p- released our second record, you know, like we're, you know, drinking heavily at that point, partying occasionally. Yeah. Some of us partying heavier than others, but, you know, it was like in the, it was in the mix at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Then when the second record comes out and didn't do as well as the first record, we got our first lesson in the ups and downs of our music career. Yeah. You know what I mean? And when yeah. everything's happening for the first time, you don't realize that, like, you think, like, oh, my life, it's like when you're a teenager, you're like, oh, my God, you know, the girl doesn't like me, my life's over. Yeah. It's done. Oh, shit. So, like, when the album came out and then didn't do as well numbers-wise, you know, yeah. as the first record, um, I found myself dealing, coping with that, anxiety and that stress by leaning into the bottle more by leaning into the bag more by grabbing those pills more you know like those xanaxes you know like it became and it became part of my lifestyle to like okay if i'm in an airport and i gotta get on a plane i'm doing a bar of xanax yeah bang it doesn't matter if i'm flying from sacramento to burbank or if i'm flying from brazil (laughs) to helsinki yeah i'm taking a bar of xanax because i gotta get through this flight you know what i mean um and you know drinks on the flight and you know yeah. whatever and then out at the club or at the you know wherever and like you know doing the blow and whatever yeah um so i met my wife during the process of uh making the second record and she introduced me to the concept of recovery i see okay okay so recovery wasn't even as an idea like even on the table until i met her she's yeah. the one who said hey you know look you know there's this thing called like rehab and like you know there's yeah. like a you know aa and that kind of thing and um i'm like cool good talk you know <laughs> cool good talk <laughs> you know, sweet all right awesome this month yeah <laughs> good talk baby we're you know let me do this and but you know and now that i look back on it i could see that where 
you know, where the substances had just become part of my lifestyle, it was really adversely affecting like her yeah. and adversely affecting our relationship. And I didn't really take that into consideration or own that yeah. until like way, way later down the line. You know what I mean? Like yeah. way, it took years, you know, like recently kind of yeah. shit, you know? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like we had, you know, had um, issues, you know, in our relationship and our relationship became toxic. It wasn't healthy for either of us to be in it anymore, and it came time for that to be, you know, to be come to an end. Yeah. Um, I didn't really see it that way. She's the one who saw it first, you know what I mean? And um, it took me a long, a long uh, time in therapy and recovery. First, like in psycho, doing a lot of psychotherapy, yeah. doing a lot of AA recovery, and then just general, like, you know, uh, gaining wisdom through life experience and gaining the yeah. ability to reflect back on things when I realized like my drug use created huge wreckage, huge yeah. wreckage in that relationship. So there was like a personal responsibility awakening that was like, definitely. like definitely. I mean, that's always huge. Like we, we tend, I, I mean, I know I say myself tend to blame, blame other things, you know, problems, people, all those things when I'm active in that. And when you get that point where you can actually take some personal responsibility and say like shit like it you know it, yeah maybe there was some some messed up stuff but i played a, a role in that you know right. I mean, that's where the growth kind of comes right. in right and for a long time i wouldn't own any of that i yeah. wouldn't even want to look yeah. at it you know and it wasn't until yeah. later and finally like being able to heal like just become aware of it to own it and then to heal from it is a, a whole process in yeah. itself but so through the course of that relationship and how i my addictions affected that relationship and how it brought it to an untimely end you know i mean i'm sure that you know every side every story has multiple sides but i'm going to own my side of it you yeah know? yeah yeah and i i did not do you know i made grave mistakes with my lifestyle with my health yeah. with my uh with my you know relationship with her yeah. that kind of thing so it came to an end and i took that as a you know um you know excuse to like just go off the rails, like unbridled. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, if this is yeah. over, then I don't care about anything. Yeah. Like, I'm just gonna party as hard as I want, whenever I want, until whatever. I didn't even know. Did you care if he died? Like, or did you? You ever know, at that, that point, thought? at that point, I did. But I was just like, yeah. I'm gonna really go after this partying thing. <laughs> you know I'm what I mean? Pursue it. But you know, like I'm. And then it got to this point, man, where it's somewhere in between getting away with murder, our third record, and the Paramore Sessions, our fourth record. Yeah. I had gone so far off in trying to mask the pain from that breakup and that whole thing that like it was almost like the band became literally a conversation I had in my head one time was like that demonic little addiction yeah, that voice little is going, voice, you yeah, know. This whole bastard. music thing's really getting in the way of your partying. Really? Like, you know what, man? Like, damn, that's crazy, yeah, bro. Yeah, like, you know, you could probably do a lot more drugs if you didn't have this whole, like, playing shows in the way. You know, that wow. conversation happened, and that, I heard that in my head at a point, you know? Like, yeah, how fucked insane, up is that, bro. right? But that's, that's the, that's the, that was, like, the first, like, deepest part of addiction that's like when i got into the dark part of addiction yeah like the deep well yeah deep you jump back say, oh, it's still fun it's still fun and now now it's getting on now it's on the, some real shit right, right now it's it gets dark it gets dark <laughs> and the band got like the guys did their best to 
support me through all that. And they're like, we're here for you, but they can so see they me going down. So they knew you were going through it and shit, too. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. we all, like, we're tight-knit yeah. family. Like, we live on a bus, on tour together all yeah. year. So anything anyone's going through, everyone's going through yeah. that. You know what yeah. I mean? Because we just, everything's so close. Yeah. You know? We're all so close. And that's probably connected. hard for them, too, to see you going through that shit, you know? Like, uh, I mean. I'm sure it was. I yeah. know it was. You know what I mean? And that's the crazy thing, too, is that it took me until years later to own that part of it too like yeah. i was creating wreckage with them yeah. you know this yeah. whole time you know and like it was affecting my ability to play shows yeah i couldn't play at my that you know i'll never I'll, you'll never hear me say like i'm the greatest drummer in the world i'll be the first to tell you dude like i'm like moderately like you know whatever like i'm mediocre at best whatever but that's not what this is about the point is the substances were getting so in the way yeah. of me even being able to, I couldn't even like do my job correctly. Like the, my performances were suffering. Yeah. My added, my interactions with the band were with the guys, my brothers were suffering. Yeah. My inner, my being able to make clear headed business decisions was suffering. Yeah. My interactions with fans was su like everything was just, but I didn't want to look at any of that. I yeah. was like, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm in pain because of this thing. And I'm just gonna like keep writing this until I can't. Yeah. And at a certain point after um, we had put out, we had recorded uh, the Paramore sessions, and and I think I, you mentioned to me earlier that Jacoby had met, you know, made a statement in an interview that like I had gone yeah. completely out of my mind or whatever, and that was true. Yeah, he said he said uh, that was, was definitely something, true. Something like yeah, Dave, Dave's Dave's in rehab because. Uh, because uh, he going crazy or some shit like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was... You know, and that's his way of, you know, yeah. expressing like a, that, you know, like, dude, you know, like my brother's sick, you yeah. know, and he had to go take care of himself. And um, I started the tour in 2006, the Paramore Sessions tour with the band. Um, and then we had done, we had just done a leg up through the frozen tundra of like Canada and then down into like South Dakota's in the middle of winter, like January. And I remember telling our manager, I'm like, if you send me on this tour, like, I'm not going to survive this tour. And hmm. like, for whatever that meant, you know what I mean? Yeah. I really didn't want to go on. I had a bad feeling about it. Nothing happened on the tour. Like, every tour went fine, except for I played like shit and was a drunken idiot or, you know, yeah. you know stoned. Yeah. Not stoned, but like coked out, you know, crazy madman the whole time. But when I came home, I was so like in a place, like in such a bad place or whatever, just such an addicted, dark, in, yeah. in the addiction that like I locked myself in my house for like three weeks. I was just gonna ask you, do you feel real alone? Like real Yo, isolated? I isolated. Like here's I all was, these people that love you and you got fucking fans, you got homies, you got family, and, and everyone like, is just like, get, you just like get away from me. I don't yeah, even want yeah, I didn't so want crazy, any of it. Bro. All it I wanted isolate. was the bag, you know, at a certain point. Like, you know, <laughs> like trip, I locked myself in my house for three weeks and the only person I talked to was my drug dealer, hmm. you know? And that was, and and during that time, like and all these things started happening. Like I overdosed, you know. Like I had a fucking overdose. I think I had like two. Like I know for sure I had one. No one ever took me to the hospital. Really? But I remember like we had like I would, I had done way too much shit. I don't even remember what I had done. And I woke it up like the next morning. I was hearing what describing them describe like what had gone yeah. on the night before. And I woke up the next morning, looked in the mirror, and I looked gray. I looked dead. Like Damn. my skin was like as gray as like this couch. You know what I mean? Like as gray as like my shorts, man. Yeah. It was bad. And I was it's like dead. This is really not good, you know? Um and so 
I put myself in a rehab the first time. Mm. I, I, call, I remember calling Jacoby and I was like, dude, I'm really in a bad spot. I really need help. And he's like, what do you need? I'm like, I need to go. I need to get help. I need to, I need, I need to get into rehab, you know? Yeah. And um, how was that like, to, like uh, having to admit that and like say, I need help? Well, did that, it was did that one end? of those things that like if I had thought about it beforehand, I, you know, you know, my addiction was telling me like, don't, but somehow by yeah. the grace of God, I was able to be vulnerable enough with my um, brother over the phone yeah. to admit to him that I needed help. And you want to talk about like just immediate, like the per, like, dude, like, our whole team came together for me, like our management, my yeah. family, the band, everyone was like, yes, get Dave help. Like they literally got me in like to a, a bed like the next day. Like they took me like to yeah. Napa and I was in rehab and I had to sit out the 30 days of like the next leg of the tour. Yeah. And that's when they brought Tony in. Yeah. Um, and I did the whole rehab thing. I got out, you know, I would like to say that I went to rehab and it stuck. But I was fucking around, you know, literally within weeks, yeah. within weeks out of being rehab the first time. You know what I mean? Well, we, when we spoke a little bit earlier, too, you know, you, I think you were kind of alluding to this that first, you know, that first time, it really wasn't about Dave getting sober. It was about Dave getting sober. Saving because, my ass. Yeah, saving your ass because I want to pursue these other things in life that I'm trying to get. Right. So let's let's get sober so I can fucking yeah, you know, it's, do that. It's let me get sober so I don't lose my job. It's let me get sober yeah. so I don't look like a dumbass in the, yeah. in the media. It's let me get yeah. sober so I can save face. Yeah. But and if none of it was let me get sober so I can help myself grow. Like, yeah. And if, you know, I talked, I mentioned earlier about my spiritual upbringing, like how spirituality is such a huge part of my life. Yeah. And somewhere between the beginning of my music career and that point, I had lost. I had just become disconnected with any of that. Yeah. Didn't meditate, didn't consider any kind of philosophical, spiritual, like everything to me. And like, I really, I mean, I guess you could say that like, I really just threw myself into like, trying to be the coolest rock star I could ever, which I think at, I can look back on it now and say, you know, I wasn't very good at being a rock star. I'm not a great rock star. Like I kind of did it my own way and I was, I'm, I'm very much a goofball in, in real life, in, 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 my, yeah. in my day-to-day life. That's part of my character and that's what I was. And I was huge, I was like this huge, like 350, 375 pound yeah, I remember guy. You, you were a big dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was a big you lost dude, a lot of right? Weight, man. You, you know? good, by the way, man, yeah. For yeah. most of my music career, thank you. By the yeah. way, thank you. Um, well, I just want, um, let, let, let me just say something real quick yeah. too to those out there watching right now or listening. Um, you know, you don't have to be in a band. You don't have to be in in entertainment. You don't have to. It doesn't matter what job you do. It doesn't matter what you have going on in life. If you're trying to get sober to get clean because of all, you're trying to save your marriage. You're trying to save your job. You're trying to. You're, it doesn't work like that. And so that's kind of what you were talking about too, yeah. is that it's such an important component of it because you're not gonna be able to tell anybody what to do. I can't tell somebody I love, hey, you need to get sober. They have to figure that shit out on their own right. and they gotta pursue it on their own and they gotta do it for the right reasons. I had to do it for the right reasons, just like you did. And right. now once you've done that, you're starting to see some success from it, right? I mean, I some clarity. Yeah, for sure. For it's sure. Huge. Are we talking about now? Or are we like getting back into the story? We're well, talking about I mean, my current state. We can, let, let's, where we at? Well, do you want uh, to jump forward to right now, or like, um, yeah, we can go anywhere you'd like to go. Um, um, I don't know, man. I I think that. Uh, 
Well, I think that was an important part that you were that you were getting into of that of that darkness, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and that isolation because mm-hmm. so many people out there feel that shit, mm-hmm. man, and they don't know how the fuck to get out of it. So. Right. Let, let's jump back there a little bit. Well, I mean, I can remember like clearly, you know, like here I was in this place in my life when on paper I had everything. Like I had like I had money. I had, you know, yeah. whatever. I was living a quasi celebrity lifestyle. I was in the meet, the papers and TMZ yeah. and shit, you know, with my ex-wife and, you know, had like the, you know, rock star, you know, wife, you know, like she comes from rock star family, rock star royalty, you know, it's like, I was living the rock star dream on paper, yeah. but inside I was totally not just unhappy, but just like totally bankrupt, man. Like hmm. I felt like I had nothing. Yeah. I felt like, and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me if I have all this stuff and none of it means anything? You know what I mean? Hmm. And so that's what got me looking into, like I was still deep in the depths of my addiction when I realized that I needed that something's missing and it and these drugs weren't going to fix it yeah but then i was all i was so deep into it that i couldn't stop at that point even though i needed help i knew i needed help yeah but i couldn't even i could like it was so like my addiction was running the show so hard that i even though i knew all these things in my mind i couldn't bring my the only thing that was important was getting that next that next thing you know what i mean how long did that go on for? Like, and you think like surprisingly like when it really not that long. Surprisingly not that long. So if you take like the timeline from when I did my very first, you know, hit of cocaine. Yeah. Two thousand three, to um, you know the last time I did cocaine, or you know when I when I went to my my first rehab or whatever. I don't even want to say the last time I did cocaine because it came back in my life. It hit me like sideways, you know, really? a few years back, and um, but. You know, like it took, you know, it was a long, it was a long progression of time. I think like, you know, like when my son, when we got pregnant with my son, uh, we both got sober during the pregnancy. And so that helped me for a while. You know, that is what helped get me aside, you know, along with doing recovery, along with doing, you know, get doing the AA program, working with my sponsor, which I can look back on now and kind of realize that like, I wish I could say I went to my first AA meeting and I, you know, hadn't touched a drink or a drug, you know, that, you know for however many years since then, you know yeah. what I mean? So like, I went to my first meeting 11 years ago and I haven't, you know, touched a substance since. Yeah. That's, That's not, not my story. story. <laughs> That's not my story at all. Yeah. Like, no. I'm that dude that <clears throat> has every intention, like, of staying in, but, you know, I would find myself going out, you know what yeah. I mean? And so, yeah. and e- even after I was able to kick, like, the blow and, like, doing all the crazy pills, Xanax and whatever, like, I wasn't even, like, addicted to any particular pills. Just like, what do you got? Like, I'll just yeah. take a handful of that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, let's do it. How you know? fast was the progression, though? Like in, like in the oh, last before, year. Before it got bad. Well, no, I just, I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at, like, because I know for me, like in the last year before I got sober, yeah, it progressed so fast. Like it, like mm. where I, like I didn't even. I'm like, I, I still look back and I'm like, man, that shit just like took a hold of me quick and was okay. just. I, I'm okay. trying to see so how. I've, like, I've for had you. to do that two times now because I've had to do that. I've had to conquer, like I've had to overcome my addiction from cocaine, when both, you know, we all know addiction's a problem, not any other particular substances. Yeah. But at that point, I was like, I just want to get off the coke. You know, I yeah. just want to get off the drugs. What yeah. I saw as being the, the problem, you yeah. know? Um, that, you know, for me to do that, the progression, like from it to get, to go from my first bump to like when I knew I needed help, it was literally within four years. So it's a very short drug use career, as far yeah. as like going hard, you know yeah. what I mean? 
a lot of guys, there's some guys who have really long careers. Some guys, mine was, you know, not necessarily that long, but it was very intense. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, like, you know, some people like to say, like, I probably have snorted, you know, a house, you know what I mean, <laughs> worth of cocaine, right? Like, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Know, who knows, yeah. whatever. But, so, you know, within a very short period of time, you know, it, it became, and then that was a process, you know, going to rehab and kicking that, overcoming that. But then I encountered the same problem with alcohol later. Alcohol yeah. became, and alcohol was never my drug of choice. I was never, it was always, like, you know, when I did have a drug of choice, it was, you know, it was that. Yeah. It was Coke or, um, but alcohol was just always, always kind of like ancillary or like extracurricular yeah. to that. It yeah. was part of the it's thing. It's always there. That's it's how just I there. Said. Alcohol was always there. But no after, what was doing. you know, after I was able to, I, okay, now I've shucked the, that monkey, but then this other monkey's hanging out, you know, this alcohol thing. And like it crept in and I never, and then I, you know, I found myself drinking where I wasn't doing Coke. I was, I'd be drinking, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I had to, you know, put, you know, that went very short. I would have, I was in recovery. But then I was having like these, I would never get any significant amount of time together because I'd have like, not, not that I was like, like drinking, you know, like I was trying to do recovery, but not really trying, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, so I'd find myself relapsing all the time. Yeah. And then I even found myself relapsing as we talk about the first time, one of my relapses was, but we were at your wedding, <laughs> right? With a mutual friend of ours. Yeah. And we were partying. Yeah. And, um, you know what I mean? So you can see like, uh, you know, yeah this disease like they don't kid when they say like you know while you're out there in the world you know doing your recovery like your disease is in the back in the back scene you know in the, in the background doing push-ups and working out and just waiting for yeah. you, waiting for you to get weak yep. it's just waiting for you to give it that slightest little thing like so that's what's so scary man yeah. it's like still even after you know you hear you hear cats that have you know 10 20 years um, and that shit does just sit and wait back there. And all yeah. of a sudden, one day, they go I out. remember hearing about it. He's, I, I said, a uh, homie that I was in um, in treatment with, I said, well, well, I think he had like 14 years. I said, well, well what the fuck happened? He goes, yeah. I don't know. I just woke up one day, and I just decided to fucking do some heroin. And I'm like, fuck, bro. Like, right. how does that, I don't, you know, it's crazy, man. That's why it, we got to be so vigilant with it. it but you know it's funny that you say that because as weird as that story sounds, I know someone with that story. Like same shit. A huh? person who was close to me, like one day came and I was like, I think I'm gonna try heroin. I'm like, Really? Like that's what you're gonna do? After okay. being clean for some After time being too? clean for, you know, I don't know, who knows, man. Yeah. You know, but it's not it's not like it doesn't ever ever happen. It happens, yeah. you know. That's that's my point. Well and I think I think there's a lot of people out there that um, you know, that struggle with that, with the you know, with the back and forth. Mm -hmm. You know, they get some time and then they stop. And obviously, you're, you're an example of that. You've been through that in the last 10, 11 years. Like, yeah. what would you say to someone out there, man, who's like going through that shit? Like, what, how can you relate to them? Or how can <coughs> you kind of, um, you know, give them a little peace of mind that they're not weird. They're not, um, you know, they don't have to lose. Like, right. they can win still. Like, right. you, But you, you, you can't give up and you got to just keep fucking going. Well, there's that saying, like, don't quit before the miracle, right? So, yeah. Um, you know, not that I ever quit, but I've had stumbling blocks, you know what I mean? But like, yeah. it's been at the forefront of my focus and my intention yeah. for like these past 11 years to like love myself and live a clean, healthy lifestyle, you know, and like to be free from this burden of suffering from my addiction. Huh. And it's taken, I mean, I just celebrated last, last week or so, I just celebrated my very first 365 days 
yeah. of continuous sobriety of like you know Congrats, all, str- I strang them all together. Yeah. But, you know, I strung all the days together. Because you had you had close you were close. A couple I times got before, close huh? many times. Yeah. You know like whether it was and like even though like I said like I was able to like stop doing coke but. Like the drinking, like it would be like I get sober you know, and then I would find yeah. myself, I'd have a, a little bit, like I have like I go have like a bottle of wine or whatever and be like, yeah. oh, I did that. And then it would like I would ha- I would start with that and then like maybe a month later again. Huh. And then maybe and then it was like three weeks later again. And then there was more wine. And then it was like, you know what I mean? And it all just so comes I had to, back. You know, in 2007, after we came off that tour and I I went into rehab, um, I thought I could go to rehab, do my 30 days and come back. And yeah. and be fine and just continue my career like nothing ever happened. Well, that also turned out not to be the case because I came back and I was struggling even though I wasn't doing the drugs. I was starting to drink more and more. And um, you know, I think at that point there had been so much wreckage created through the last few years of you know of my career addiction yeah. career. Yeah. And I, I think after getting that you know that fresh air of like maybe having Tony come in and it's like it's like fresh energy and it's like lively and yeah. he's a great guy dude totally awesome drummer yeah like yeah. Great, like so any of you know now Tony Palermo is now the yeah, drummer for dope. Papa Roach well he's the guy that replaced me on the tour when I went to rehab I tried to come back and I did my best man I was trying to do the whole recovery thing and and being able to tour and I just was not being successful yeah and as much as I didn't want to give it up um, the band Kind of like there was an, an, an episode that had happened one night uh, shortly before Thanksgiving. We were on our way to play, I believe, somewhere in Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. We were driving from, we had just played the Orbit, the Orbit Room in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. And somewhere along that, that bus ride from Michigan to Wisconsin, I had drank and I think took some pills. Someone had given me some pills. And along that bus ride, I had woken up in the middle of the night and literally like started a fight like with the entire bus. And Kobe and I came to like fisticuffs. Like we actually had a fight in the back lounge. I don't remember it. I've heard, and I've only heard a fraction of the story. I don't really know what happened. Yeah. Because Kobe hasn't even really told me the story. But I woke up the next morning, passed out. I woke up from being passed out on the back, in the back of the bus, in the back lounge. And I was like, something's weird because I went to bed in my bunk and I don't know what happened. And there was a note on my chest, you know, that said, go to, go to Kobe's room, room, you know, 310 or whatever. So I go up there and he's like, look, dude, this isn't working out. You need to go home and get your shit together. And I was like, you're right. Huh. And I would even, I think at that time or shortly thereafter, I mentioned like, you know what? I think maybe I should sit the rest of this record out or like sit out for a year and maybe come back when I'm healthy. And he's like, yeah, that's good. You know, good plan. Somewhere between that conversation and the next year, the band decided that they would rather move forward with Tony, yeah, and so that decision was made. Um, and that even though, and, and at the same time, it was one of those kind of like "I quit, you're fired" situations because yeah. it was definitely mutual. Yeah, the feel like I knew I needed to come off, I needed to get off the road. They knew I needed to get off the road. I knew I wasn't bringing anything. I was becoming more of a liability yeah. than an asset. Yeah, in that in that um, dynamic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Business-wise, personality-wise, whatever, if I wasn't able, if I couldn't get my stuff together, that's like, it was just another, and it became another one of the things I lost on my way to the bottom. You know, I thought that was my bottom and that wasn't even my bottom. I lost my fucking career. Yeah. I lost my job. I lost doing what I love the most out of anything in this world with my brothers yeah. to this evil 
fucking addiction, this disease of addiction. And huh. that's just, that's not even, you know, I lost my, my, my wife, my fan, you know, my, uh, you know, I've lost uh, romantic relationships, I lost career, I've lost, um, you know, thank God, like my health's still intact. And yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not that guy who I never, I haven't gotten a DUI. Uh, never ran into any like serious trouble with the law or anything because of my addiction, so that's okay. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's just that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens when this disease takes over and you can't stop. Yeah. And so I knew at that point, after, after um, they had they had called me. Actually, Kobe came over to my house and told me in person. He's like, "Look, you know, we're gonna." The band's decided that we're gonna move forward with Tony and. And that, you know, my knee-jerk reaction was like, like okay. And then I had to go through a whole grieving process of oh, I'm sure all dude, that. after that long and. But thankfully, I was able to go through that, and not and and have recovery under my belt and have a sponsor to work through steps, and I was able yeah. to deal and mitigate a lot of that pain, and deal and process that pain through working the steps. Yeah. And finally, uh, you know, eventually come to uh, healing, a, a point of a place of healing with uh, my best friends, you know, yeah. like, like my, my, my best friend, Jacoby Shaddix, and my brothers, Jerry and Tobin, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's right, man. And that's where we are today, but that took a long, you know, it, some, some, sometimes, like this, this story isn't uncommon in rock and roll, right? Yeah. It happens all the time. Guys get chucked out of bands all the time. They replace members. It's just what it is. Yeah. But for me, it was worth more losing my best friends and my brothers like i almost didn't like okay i can deal with not being in the band but i didn't want to be i didn't want my soul to become disconnected from this yeah, if like that, that makes personal sense. relationship yeah and love like that's and my family that. i can't yeah. ever lose yeah. that in fact like i need them in my life yeah. right so we well, said a lot of the guys get chucked out of the band shit a lot of dudes just die too it's, that you know happens. what i'm saying and that th happens. thank god like uh you know i've talked a lot about nick trainer on the show <laughs> right. because he was one of my kind right. of I, I like idolized him as a 14 yeah. year old kid, you know, Link 80, Nick, right? Link 80, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, just a, um, you know, just a, a superb artist and musician, and yeah. boom, you yeah. know, 21, 22, yeah. done. Uh, so thankfully, you're here. You still got another shot. Yeah, <laughs> you know dude. What I'm I mean, saying? it's you know, it's a blessing, man. Yeah. And um, like I said, man, I didn't, I didn't just get here. You know, all at once. It didn't. Ha it took a long time. You know, yeah. to, and we had a light go out. Yeah. If anyone, okay. Um, but, um, you know, and it started in the rooms of AA. Thank yeah. God. I mean, it was. You know, it was brought to my awareness by my ex-wife. Thank God, she introduced yeah. recovery into my life. A good friend of mine took me to my first meeting in 2006. Yeah. You know, I've had, I've been able to work closely with people who I respect highly in the music yeah. business. Like my heroes of mine yeah. have been some of the greatest supporters of my spiritual, you know, recovery, you yeah, know, and from yeah. this disease. And, um, and it started in AA, but that's not where it ended for me yeah. because like, because like I was in AA and I was, do I was doing the work to the best of my ability and trying to get in that workflow uh, in yeah. that. And like, I do feel like those, uh, you know, that, that set of the group of addicts, you know, the group of drunks, like they call them, right? Those are my people, right? Yeah. But something wasn't, whether it was my effort, I wasn't putting as much effort as I should be or whatever it was, something wasn't clicking with me and that program. Yeah. Right? And so when I, I had just recently hit 
a speed bump last year with the drinking. Yeah. And I took steps to um, get back into my recovery network and in my recovery headspace. Yeah. Get back into that workflow. But I knew that the program, as much as I learned and was able to take benefit from working those steps in AA, something wasn't clicking. I wasn't staying sober. So yeah. I'm like, what? what's the deal? Yeah. Let me figure this out. And through the process, um, my lady, um, Stacy, you know, yeah. she turned me on to, she was like, because um, I told, I, did I tell you about our relationship? Like I introduced Stacy, I introduced her to recovery. She yeah. introduced me to podcasts. I think we covered that earlier. I think, yeah, I think we talked a little bit about it, but it's an interesting yeah. piece because it's just uh, it's a good example of how shit comes together when you she, don't she even goes, expect it. Babe, have you heard of this thing called refuge recovery? It's a Buddhist-based approach to recovery, and um, she told me, okay, it's written. The book's written by this guy Noah Levine, and I knew of Noah way back in like 90 in the 90s. Yeah, a buddy of mine, like a good friend of mine, Jake Desrochers, who I. I have a, I'm in a band with called Last Angels. Yeah, super awesome dude. Um, and he's a, a a friend in recovery. But he he you know we were friends in our running and gunning days, and we're friends now in together in recovery. Yeah, and he's been a great asset in my life. Um, he introduced me years ago to this book called Dharma Punks, and I'm like, okay, what's this book Dharma Punks about? He's like, it's about this punk rock kid from Santa Cruz. It's his like life story. This guy Noah that I know because Jake's from Santa Cruz. Yeah, he's from that area he's like yeah this guy that i know from my hood you know wrote a book and it's i'm like well what's it about and he's like it's his life story and it's about straight edge punk rockers <laughs> you know straight edge punk rock Sick. straight edge buddhist <laughs> punk rockers right yeah right this is like in two, 1998 around right another one of those moments i'm like yeah straight edge buddhist punk rockers Sweet, good Pretty talk. Pretty sure that's me yeah that's me <laughs> i'll have to read that book sometime yeah fast forward it took like that's so funny, dude. From 98 to like 2006, you know, 2005, like for me, yeah. to, for it to come years. back full years, years huh? man. Yeah. I think I just years. spit on you. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> but the point being is that like I was reintroduced to Buddhist practice of mindful meditation. <clears throat> I was reintroduced um, to my spirituality. I, I was, yeah. I've been able to find my spirituality again yeah. uh, by by this form of, this method of recovery. Yeah. Um, I've been able to reach out and, and express my gratitude to Noah, you know, for like his experience, strength and hope that I was able, that I'm able to draw from. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, and look to him as a sort of mentor in this thing. The first noble truth, right? The first truth of Buddhism and the first truth of refuge recovery and Buddhism, it's that life is suffering, right? And refuge recovery is that, um, and I'll explain it in the reference point of refuge from here on out. In refuge, we say um, addiction causes suffering. Okay? okay. So your addiction causes suffering in your life. Yeah. Okay. The the cause of that suffering, right, is the craving, the craving to avoid pain and to prolong pleasure, like to 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 chase after pleasure and avoid pain at any cost. Okay. Right. Got it. That's what leads us down this road of seeking exterior substances, to to mitigate that pain yeah so that suffering so addiction causes suffering there's a cause for that suffering it's craving uh there's a solution that's the third noble truth there's a solution to it yeah okay good news good news <laughs> right good news 
The fourth <laughs> truth, the solution is the Eightfold Path. And what the Eightfold Path is like eight methods. Um, shit, I wish I had my book in here. But it's all yeah. about right understanding, right intention, right action, uh, right livelihood. Um, it's like um, right thought, you know what I mean? Right intentions, that's yeah. seven. And there's one more. But it's all about the same principles that we that we go over in AA, it's about yeah. when you're wrong, like for, for like basically at, at, at the base level, it's okay, don't be a dick, you know? <laughs> yeah, let's Realize, break it down simple, right? huh? when you're, yeah. when When something goes wrong, you played a part in it too. It, not, it wasn't everything yeah. just happening to you, so like you could play the blame game all you want, but it's, there, there's, you, yeah. you have a part in the whole thing. Um, what, you know, how, um, you well, know, when you're wrong, admit it. If you do something yeah. wrong, you harm someone, like try not, like avoid, like don't harm anybody. Don't seek to harm anybody. But if you do by accident, make it right. Yeah, make it right. Make it right. Do your amends. As, as fast as you can. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then focus your intentions on, on your, your recovery, on your sobriety, yeah. on staying sober. And not just, don't just focus your intentions on not drinking, yeah. but focus your intentions on what is it that I can do today that's going to, help me heal in my in my process what yeah. is what I, what can i do today to to help me love myself you know to get a better yeah. understanding of myself to help me you know um allow myself to be me in a loving the mo- most loving caring possible way and to like care for myself yeah. you know so but i think and, something that's so important though with that is that comes right along with the program itself, no matter what program it is, is that you found something that actually you feel um, very passionate about that's working for you, right? right. You know right. what I'm saying? Me, I, the, and that's like, what it that, is. That, that's really what it's about. Yeah. Like, because we talked about this earlier, shit that works for some people might not work for the next guy right. and, and vice versa. So right. um, once we're kind of in that at first and we start following um, some rules we have some some people we can look to to help you know to help us guide us along the way we can start finding um little components that work for us best and in your case it's um it's it's refu- the refuge program right and that's working for you right definitely, definitely. What, what are some of the good things man like what so if we go we take a quick chunk and we say damn dave was in a real dark place you know um basically you know um was was not being able to do music anymore um you have that time in your life, like what's your time now, like in the last year, like since you're since you're now sober, you got a cool ass lady, like yeah. you got your your boy. I mean, like what's what's life like today, man? Well, today for me, I mean, just this last year, since you know taking you know beginning my path, you know my um, my path on the refuge on this refuge approach, you know this Buddhist yeah. approach to um, to recovery. It's it's been every it's it's been you know they say don't quit before the miracle I felt yeah. like I feel like I finally got the miracle yeah. like you know what I mean like I'm finally yeah. like I still you know I go through every day day by day I still take every day one day at a time yeah just and like you still I have used shit to. you got to deal with I still right? have shit I got to deal with yeah. life on life's terms it's not life on my terms I deal with life I deal with my you know my my. I walk this, you know, I walk my way through this life. Yeah. But I'm able to do it in a more kinder, mindful, um, beneficial, healthier way, you know what I mean? Because yeah. of, of, of this. Not that I couldn't get that with AA, because that's in the AA too. Yeah. But for what, yeah, yeah. like I said, whatever reason, it wasn't clicking with me. And then ha- having it come back around from this experience that I had as a kid, yeah. I knew about meditation and like spirituality and that kind of thing. To have that 
come back into my life full circle and to like really like show me that it does get better like i finally feel like i got that yeah it does get better moment you know what i mean yeah and the key to it is like it doesn't matter there's different forms of recovery out there there's refuge there's aa there's smart recovery yeah there's there's a few others out there there's the you know yeah, you. I, I, yeah. I, I'm familiar Celebrate with the recovery. Of them. That's Celebrate another big recovery one at the church. Is, with the it's church, a huge program. It's huge. So no matter what it is, just find something that resonates with you. If I give it yeah. any advice to anyone out there, yeah. No matter what it is, no matter what program it is, like choose a program that resonates with you. That you're able to get what you're that you want to get out of it i mean like like aa like i was able to get a lot out of it but it was that whatever that final thing was that that final peace of mind component that thing that set my my soul at ease yeah i could i never got it in that in those 10 years yeah right some for some reason i had maybe glimpses of it but overall it wasn't that wasn't there for me in that and so i made a conscious decision to seek out other other ways yeah. Or to pursue my recovery, and I found refuge. And once again, it was a bumpy road, but right. you didn't give up, right? And you kept going, and, and you didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, and, just, and, and here now, I am yeah. with this, with this, like you know, I'm able to say that I celebrated my first one year anniversary, and it's because of this new program I'm working, in and because yeah. I work it. I mean, not that I didn't work my other programs, you know, earnestly, but for some whatever reason, yeah. this one's clicking, it's sticking. Yeah. So, I'm grateful. And sticking. I like you it. know what I mean? Yeah. And um, you wake up with gratitude. Like, do you try to do the gratitude thing? I know, like, for me, if I, I don't wake do up, the gratitude list, well, not a list, but just like, like trying to wake up and just be like, just live in, in, um, you know, just being appreciative just right. for the small, just, you know, the, just waking up and being able to wake up for instance, yes. right. Or being able yes. to, um, you know, have a bed to sleep in. I mean, it right. could just be simple stuff. Um, because shit, don't like we could find shit to bitch about all day long right. like that's not right. hard but right. if we're if we're, we're only focused, human right it, exactly you know? exactly so what's like like what is uh, um what is your kind of program just daily program yeah. like what, what what are some what are some like active tips that that you can give that you do that help you to uh you know to stay sober and just kind of stay stay focused okay. you know so aside from refuge and working in this you know following the buddhist path yeah, you know it's funny because I almost like I'm u- I'm utilizing the Buddhist path, but I I shy away from calling myself a Buddhist. You know, like I my you know like I just I just kind of I'm like in that like whosoever type category. Yeah. Like I yeah. kind of shy away from like religions, but I'm definitely using this approach. But on top of that, I listen to podcasts. Yeah, I keep in con I keep I keep a close uh, recovery network i have a, a close huge. group of friends who are sober as well and some that aren't but who who aren't sober but like let's say normies but are very supportive and understand yeah. my situation yeah. and are supportive and conducive to it yeah i keep a close tight-knit group of people around me in that in that capacity yeah um i seek out um ways you know that i can how can i be helpful um in a recovery capacity or just in a general way like yeah. what i live my life like, how can I be of service? Well, you know, well, what so can I do? You just sparked something to me. We got to yeah. talk about this because yeah. how can I be of service? Yeah. On your one-year birthday, you spent in a fucking bar in San Francisco. It's ironic. I mean, it's very how ironic. How about that? <laughs> that on my, the, day of my, the morning of my one-year one birthday, I get a call from a friend of mine in New York. 
and uh, there's a friend, a mutual friend of ours out in San Francisco. He's like, I need you to go check on him. We don't, we don't know if he's okay. Yeah. So I went out there to go check on him. And um, in the mean, you know, in, in that process of waiting for him to come around, I, I didn't know, they gave me his address and that's all. So yeah. I went, literally went to San Francisco with an address and I had to track my friend down. I spent six hours, basically all day, the day, the anniversary of my, of my, uh, of my birthday, my recovery birthday, in a bar, <laughs> surrounded by people just getting hammered, <laughs> with my aunt who's not drinking with me, with like just you know sitting there waiting for this guy for six hours, in a fucking bar on my birthday, and yeah. like I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think that yeah. it's a coincidence that I was called to do some recovery soldier shit on my birthday. Yeah. I think that at that point, maybe, what do you want to call it? Your higher power, the universe felt like I was able to take on that responsibility. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because ultimately it turned into a situation where I had to bring him back home. Uh, I had to bring him to Sacramento, put him on a plane to LA to get to where he needed to go. Yeah. And, um, you know, like it's not, it's, it's not, I think it was finally someone up there in upper management finally decided like, yo dude, like, okay, like you're ready. Like here, you yeah. know, now go, now go get yeah. to work. You know, happy what I mean? birthday, like, fool. Happy birthday, fool. Go get to work. Go help somebody else. Yeah. It's it was actually pretty. Well, miraculous. that's where, pretty awesome. That's you know? where the, the healing, the like the healing and the um, getting out of my own head. Like that's one thing that uh, my sponsor will always say. It's like um, if uh, if you start getting caught up in your own shit, yeah, just stop what you're doing. Yeah. And go fucking help somebody. Or yeah. he, he even told me a story. I, I was cracking up one time. He said he had a guy who. Um, he went and he put all the shopping carts back. I mean, this is kind of crazy. Like, but he went to, he literally, he was so caught up in his head. Yeah. His sponsor told him, go to the, the grocery store and I want you to go start putting all those shopping carts. Put, go put them back up there. Go push them in from the lot or whatever. Okay. I'm like, but I guess it's kind of a goofy example, but yeah. point being, um, you got to do something productive mm. to, and that, that, is, that is helping either somebody or something. Yes. And that can help to get us out of um, Get of out of here. Own, out of here because this, out of here this and will into action. Us. That's yeah, what yeah, it's exactly. all about. Uh, exactly. Like, um, anytime we start hanging out here too much and, um, you know, there, there's other factors, you know, that I have personally, like I have a mental health component to my story that yeah. I need to, that needs to be addressed in my situation. So that, yeah. that affects my sobriety too. And, and it wasn't even a situation. I kind of was mildly aware of it my entire life, yeah. but I just finally got diagnosed this year. Huh. And so that was able to like shed an entirely like, wow, dude, it's not just that I'm crazy or like whatever. It's a real condition. Like yeah. it's like, you yeah. know, this, they call it, it's like a mild form of uh, depressive cycle. It's called cyclothymatic disorder. Uh -huh. And it's a depressive that you have. It's basically like, Bipolar, but not. I don't know. How to, it's in the bipolar spectrum, I guess, yeah. of mental health. Yeah. But it's just ups and downs. Like you have these depressions. Depressions. Yeah. And so I was finally able to like see a doctor, get diagnosed, and get on medicine. And like it's been the greatest blessing to me because now it's yeah. like not only can I work my recovery, but I'm able to do it in a in a way where my own chemical imbalances aren't aren't hindering my own efforts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And that's huge to me. Yeah. That's huge uh, for me. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad to have able to be able to uh, have addressed that and be able to tackle that now. It's like, and, but yeah. I think everything happened as I was ready to, to confront it. Everything gets laid out, you know, as I'm able to take it on. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's, sure. and that's where we get those saying like one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. It's like, you're yeah. ready when you're ready. And then when, 
you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. That's what I always say about yeah. when my son was born. Yeah. Because the day he was born, it was like a huge awakening in me. You know what I mean? It didn't get me all the way sober yeah. where I needed to yeah, be. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he, it sparked like, something. It sparked something like that. That being it. That being being accountable to him. Being a, being responsible yeah. for him. Because like for for the first like six years of his life, I was a single parent pretty much. In effect, you know, like yeah. Um, you know, since he was eight months old, single parent. So I didn't have a partner to rely on for like all those, like I had to be mom and dad. Yeah. So if you want to talk about something to focus on that's not yourself, there it is. <laughs> but yeah. yet that, yeah, but point. you know, and, but even then it's like, I can't get sober for him, but him, focusing on him and his needs and my role yeah. in his life helps me in my recovery because it gets me yeah. out of here. Well, you know it gets what I mean? us out of the selfishness, man. Right. Like, the, like addiction is a very selfish, um, you know, thing. Like right. we're always constantly thinking about self, self, self. What can I get? How can I do better? Why did that, this happen to me? Um, and, you know, I still work on that till this day, just right. getting caught up in my own, my own mind and how um, sometimes like, you know, it's, it can be about me when it's not, you know what I mean? Mm. And it's not about me. And when right. I live my life, when it's not about me, dude, my fucking day is phenomenal. You know what I mean? Right. right. And, uh, get a little bit better at it each day or whatever. Um, but dude, man, yeah, it's, it's a trip, dude. Um, oh, I don't know, man. I had to take a breath there for a minute, man. Man. It's, I mean, like it's looking lot, back dude. and reflecting back on it, like me being able to share my story, like there was a lot. I think I think I may have overshared, as a matter of fact. You think like, so? You know, I don't know. I don't think maybe. so. I, no, I, I think you know. You man. can leave in the comments section or whatever. Let me know if it was TMI yeah. or whatever. Or you know, no, like it was great. You know, like I I view being here with you, and it was such an easy. Like when you asked me to do your show, it was such an easy yes because I I, I know it, you from yeah. i know you from around the way yeah it's not like yeah. you know just some random sobriety podcast hit me up and said yeah. come out it's like okay i know raymer yeah you know like kobe's done his I show i listen that. to like you're my lady's favorite podcast so that's so really good. that's really yeah. the number one reason reason so why stacy. i'm here it's for my lady stacy because <laughs> yeah. she loves shane she loves his podcast that's so awesome dude it's just it's that perfect confluence of factors that like it's that perfect storm right everything yeah. just kind of fell into place yeah. to get me here and being here is helping me get out of here and into action, yeah. telling my story, sharing my experience, strength, and hope with whoever out there is listening. Well, hopefully it gets passed you know? on to someone out there listening, and they can relate to, even if it's just one simple thing that you said, Yeah, um, you know, it can help them at least reach out. Like, that's the one thing I always say is, like, you're not alone. Like, there's other, there's a, a ton of other people out there going through the same shit, even though it likes to isolate us. And you got to reach out to someone. So there's there's lots of different resources, you know, that uh, that, that you can do that through, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and you can get some help because it's not, it's it's not, you know, when I'm weak, I'm strong. I guess you know what I'm saying. Right. Like I and I, I've felt that, and when I can kind of lay that shit down, and just be okay with just being okay. Yeah. Man, dude, it can do some great things, man. You to allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough to to reach out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To be to stay connected. You yeah. Because a lot of times, I don't know if it's uh, because I'm an addict or because I'm just a dude or whatever, but I'm not that guy that's like always making on the phone, like making phone calls like, yeah. hey, bro, like what's yeah, up? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And maybe that's just my own personal, like I've never been a great cultivator of friendships or relationships. That's just whatever I yeah. do. I do. I fare however I fare in life. But 
it takes a lot for me to be like, let me reach out. Like, yeah. I got to pick up that phone. It's like a conscious effort. Like, I'm like, yo, it's, let me reach out hard. and connect. But yeah. you got to do it. It's part of the work. It's part of what gets you sober and keeps you yeah. sober. I, you know? I want to, um, we're going to wrap this thing up in just a minute. But one, one thing I want to hit on real fast is, you know, I've always wanted, I've always wanted to help reach, um, you know, some, some dudes or some ladies out there too mm-hmm. who are at that point where they're like, um, you know, maybe, maybe they don't have a DUI. They don't have, you know, they, they haven't been to jail. They haven't had, but, but, but there's obviously an issue there. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. Drinking is such, there's such a normalcy bias. If we just, if we're just talking about alcohol, mm-hmm. uh, behind that, it's so encompassed in our society. It's so wrapped up in everything we do. A lot of us don't even fucking realize how, right. like how much it's it can go. It's, it's everything. And so it's like everything, everything, like pretty much everything revolves around alcohol. It's like, you're it going out. We're yeah. going out. We're drinking alcohol. We're celebrating. Yeah. We're drinking alcohol. I feel. Yeah. I feel crappy. We're drinking alcohol. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Well, and no. Take well, it. well yeah. just, no. And, and just what I was just gonna say, I guess, is that number one, there's a, a a beautiful life out there that doesn't have anything to do with alcohol or yeah. drugs. I'm not demonizing alcohol either. Like, well, alcohol is not the dudes. problem. Exactly. Cocaine is, is not the problem. <laughs> Pills are not the problem. Exactly. What's yeah. in here is what. Yeah. In here, what's in yep. here actually? In between here, these two yeah. ears right here. That's what's the problem, man. Yep, it is. The substance is ne- was never the issue. Yeah, it's the it's our disease. It's our addiction. And so when we work on self, we can really live a beautiful life without all that those substances. Yeah. And you can have fun. You can laugh. Um, you can have strong, healthy relationships. Like you can ha- you can live a good life. Man. Yeah. So and to all the people who like can go out there and, and exist and not you know if it's not a problem for you. Go do your thing, man. Yeah, for but sure. But if you're like That's me, not... if you're like me, listen to my story. I mean, like you know, there is hope out there. If you're struggling right now, there's hope. You know, like it, take sure. it literally day by day. If you're having a hard time out there, reach out to someone who's in recovery. If you have friends, even yeah. if you're brand new to recovery, like you could pick up the phone, you look on the internet, you can find resources, they're out there. You don't have to, and if you're not down with AA, you don't have to go to AA. That's not the be all end all of recovery, okay? I love my AA brothers and sisters. I've gained so much from AA, but I'm working a different program. You have to work some kind of something. You have to do something, whether it's yeah. smart recovery, refuge, AA, any of the other ones, like uh, there's one ring, ref, ring something recovery, truth ring or something like that. But I don't or celebrate know that recovery, one. celebrate recovery. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, seek it out. Like make it your business to get yourself better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the world needs you around. You know, like we yeah. need we need to stick around. We need to stick together, stay connected. For sure. And this is how we do it by having these conversations, by telling our story, by me being here, sharing my. Like just running my mouth for you, like whatever it is. Like I don't, I didn't come here with a script. I just spoke from my heart. Yeah. So we don't use scripts. I didn't come here with like an agenda (laughs) trying to promote anything or trying to sell you anything or trying to push anything on you. I'm just letting. I'm doing. I'm here because Shane asked me to be here, and I saw. I thought I saw it as a great opportunity to, to share a little bit of where I'm coming from with you. So if that helps you in any way, if I missed anything, I, w- I would, I would encourage anyone if they have anything like they feel like I didn't cover or they want would like to know more, like leave comments in the comments section. Where can folks find you? You have Instagram or Twitter? Or anything? I'm on Instagram. I'm on Instagram, the real Dave Buckner. Um, I have a Twitter, same. I think Twitter is the same. Yeah. Um, I don't really do Twitter a lot. I don't. I, I have a Facebook, but I don't ever get on it. It's just merely yeah. there 
for I guess so my family could tag me in photos or whatever. Yeah. But um But yeah, if you want to hit me on IG or whatever, like it's out there, just follow me and see what I'm doing. Like, you know, like um and if if I have the opportunity, if like let's say I miss something or something comes up and there's something I'd like to cover next time, I would love yeah. to have the opportunity we'll to come back on sure. your show. Oh, I think it'd be great. Well. Like and especially because it's hard to cover a lot of thing in an hour, you know what I you mean? Know what like I mean? it's and yeah. So this we'll whole thing I'm this whole thing I'm doing I'm brand new in it I'm one yeah. year in dude I'm barely scratching the surface I am you yeah. know I'm just barely getting into it so there's more more shall be revealed yeah, right for sure. I would love to share that with you in the future right on for coming on Sober Guy Radio man I appreciate it dog. thank you yeah. Yeah. yeah thanks man um, you can get more information if you go to www.soberguy.com um, tons of resources out there you got clean treatment centers you got foundations recovery network you have Sober Nation uh, lots of good podcasts uh, check it out. Peace, love, respect. Keep your blood clean.